0: I'm Mindy Abair. You're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology.
1: One pill makes you larger.
0: Pantheon Podcasts presents from Toronto, Canada. Muses and stuff with your hosts Shanti and Lynx. Part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. So grab those backstage passes and let's get to the show.
1: Hey, this is a different kind of intro this week. Yes, it is. This is an exciting one. We have some big news. Huge news. We've been teasing you with it, saying we have tons of things to tell you soon. Right now is the time and today is the day. So first big news, we already put it out there. We got a name
2: change. No longer muses and stuff. We're just simply muses. That's right. Yeah. So we're muses with Shanti and Lynx. I'm so happy about this. It feels right. Everyone seems to be really happy about it as well. I feel like it was the good choice.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, shedding one thing and growing into another thing, just like beautiful little musical butterflies. And a new name change deserves a new website. That's right. So we have been so lucky to have been hosted on the Peterborough Independent Podcasters Network. Yes. And we've said it before and we'll say it again. If you are in the Ontario area, Toronto, Peterborough, and you would like to start your own podcast, contact them because they were there from the muses beginning.
2: Yeah, they're super friendly.
1: They're always there if you need help. Really great people. That's right. And having said that, they're very happy that we are also moving on. So we have our own domain and it's www.musespod.com. Yeah. So you can go there right now and check it out. Absolutely. Yes. And we have one last piece of news. This one's really exciting. and We've been saving it. How about you do the honors? Okay. So mid-May, we're going to be launching a Patreon. Yeah. And so what that means is that if you really love us and you want to hear a little bit more than just bi-weekly so every two weeks you want to hear something from us every week we're gonna have that available to you if you would like to give us um, a donation yes and we're gonna do a mixture of both podcasts and video Elements. That's right. So you can see us, you can hear us. It's going to be a mixture of all of those things. Um, we're going to get a little more personal in it. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Um, I recently recorded an episode in Vegas for another podcast. Yeah. And we got to get really personal. And with Muses, we get right to the story mm-hmm. about who the person is that we're interviewing or the story that we read. And this is a really nice opportunity to get to know us better yes our stories and our experiences yes and yeah I'm so excited
2: we have a lot of fun ideas planned we've already started recording and yeah I'm so I'm so excited to share with everyone what we've got So thank you for sticking with us. And make sure you also check out Pantheon for tons more amazing podcasts. The guys over there are incredible. And I just want to say thank you to them as well. They've helped us with this transition a lot. And uh,
1: yeah, make sure you check them out. And now for the show. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Yes. Um, I'm a little sick, so I might sound
2: a little off, but I'm going to pull through and... uh hopefully deliver an awesome episode I'm excited for this
1: you're you have what i just got over yeah
2: it's it's going around to everyone apparently
1: yeah and you were like oh why does it have to be my episode this week and i was like well my episode last time i was in a total funk yeah it's completely new world now but that's how it happens it's it's life right okay so speaking of that i have a funny story to tell you please do So TJ, my amazing boyfriend, life partner, yes, had a phone call with his parents on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then after the conversation with his parents, he was like, hey, uh, my dad wants to know how you're doing. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> he said he listened Aww. to the last episode and Aww. he was pretty concerned about your state. That's so sweet. <laughs> and Aww. so I would like to welcome one of the newer listeners Yes, um, to the podcast, Bill. Bill, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being concerned. Shanti's doing better, she's getting there. I've got fresh sunny flowers out. in the room it's sunny out we I've, got an adorable cat lying on our uh work i've been reading a lot of self-help books like the magic yeah and you are a badass and a happy pocket full of money and i'm good i'm ready to rock awesome So thank you for your concern and thank you for listening mm-hmm. you're the best bell that's so great or should i call you dad Aww. <laughs> <laughs>
2: all right well this episode i'm i'm excited for this episode because i read two books for this um i read and i don't want to live this life by deborah Spongeon and a book called sid vicious by a guy named malcolm butt and the tones Regarding Nancy, we're so vastly different. Of course, the first one is written by Nancy's mother. It really does paint a better picture, uh, a clearer picture, you know, a full one, Uh, not just what you hear. And um, I'm excited to, you know, hopefully do the same. I want to kind of clear up some myths about Nancy and, you know, give her... Yeah, I got a lot of screenshots from you. Oh, I was so angry reading. You were it. fired up. Oh. Uh yeah. Malcolm Butt's book was just—he was a butt. He's Let's just butt. put it that way. He uh, was so biased in regards to like Sid being like a hero and Nancy being like he literally calls her like a witch in the book. <laughs> like it was not
1: like that's a bad thing. No, Hello. but in the the way he, the was, way saying he was saying
2: it for sure. And yeah, it was it really bothered me so yeah i'm happy to be
1: doing this i'm Um, really looking forward to it i like how before we recorded you were like i sound like nancy
2: yeah i didn't want anyone to think i was like being a little nasally because that's apparently how she sounded (laughs) (laughs) not trying to recreate that um art imitating life yes so let me tell you a bit about nancy's backstory first she was born Nancy Laura Spungen on February 27, 1958 in Philadelphia to Deborah and Frank. Deborah was only 20 when she had Nancy, and the birth was a very difficult one. Nancy was born with severe cyanosis... I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She almost died. It's from oxygen deprivation because she was being choked by the umbilical cord during delivery. Not cool. Yeah. She was also born with an ABO incompatibility, which caused her to be jaundice when she was born. Uh, Apparently, uh, to help this, they do blood transfusions on babies, like completely changing their blood. Deborah says Nancy was a fighter from day one and was kicking the doctors and nurses. And they told her it was the first time they ever had to actually tie down a baby to do the transfusion.
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah, I just came right out, just yeah. sliding like hello world. I think I took like twenty four hours. Yeah, you sometimes like you know you take a little longer. I, to I'm come an only child to too. You
2: you weren't the first. I was born. the second. Yeah, so
1: And probably probably a little a tiny time there. So yep. yeah.
2: So while it's unknown the lasting effects of things like this on kids, it's apparent when you read the book that Deborah believes the difficulties in birth helped shape Nancy's behavior as she grew up. Who knows? I'm sure traumatic situations affect us more than we want to believe, even if, you know, we're too young to remember them. Um, within a week, though, Nancy was Nancy was doing much better and they were allowed to take her home. From day one, she was quite a handful. She was a screamer, much more so than regular children, according to her mother. Apparently, Nancy did nothing but cry and scream. Uh, They went to the doctor for help, and this guy, this, this doctor, gave them liquid phenobarbital. That can't be good. Yeah. It's a barbiturate, which adults take for anxiety. They did this to help make her sleep. So Nancy's just three months old when she's had her first taste of heavy drugs. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, When Nancy began to crawl, she was very loud and hyperactive, always screaming and fighting the doctor's advice. Up the dosage. Mm -hmm. The only thing Nancy seemed to really love was music. So her dad, Frank, would play her guitar, and that was the only way that Nancy would be content and quiet. So Depp and Frank had their hands full. But they decided to have a second child, another daughter named Susan, born September of 1959. Susan turned out to be the opposite of Nancy, just a perfect little quiet, cuddly, calm baby. While it was clear that Nancy had behavioral issues, it was also very clear that she was highly intelligent. She was talking and walking ahead of most children and was completely potty trained by age two. It was also well, around... good for her. Right. It was also around age two that she began having very violent tantrums. She fought with everyone the kids in the neighborhood, her mom. She would even violently punch herself in the face. Doctor's advice up, up the, the prescription. <laughs> yeah. So Nancy's mom wanted to take her to a psychiatrist, but apparently her dad, Frank, was really against that and kept insisting she was just a normal kid. Like, we we're overreacting, like, she'll be fine. When Nancy was three and a half, her brother David was born. That was 1961. Uh, Apparently, Nancy took to her brother more than she did her sister. But of course, her issues were still there. Frank finally agreed that maybe we do need a little extra help when it comes to Nancy. And they took her to a child guidance center, which did help. It was there they discovered that Nancy had the functioning IQ of a seven-year-old. Hmm. Yeah. She skipped third grade and was working at a fifth grade level by then. So she excelled in school, but she really couldn't maintain friendships. They ended up moving in hopes of Nancy changing, especially since the kids were really picking on her and she was picking on her siblings. And, you know, by now, her problems, though, were, you know, ingrained in her. One big thing happened, though. When Nancy was nine, her parents went to see the musical Hair, and they got the record. They brought it home, and Nancy became obsessed with it. Deborah says she played the record over and over again, and when they got a cat, she insisted it be named Aquarius. (laughs) Uh, Deborah writes, We owned a few other rock albums, and Nancy was immediately addicted to those two. We liked the Beatles very much, and she quickly became a fanatic for them, particularly the White Album. Nancy didn't care for folk. She liked other, harder acid rock. The harder, the better. On Saturdays, I took her to the record store. Every cent of her allowance went on albums. She bought The Doors, Cream, The Stones, Hendrix, Joplin, Jefferson Airplane, Zeppelin. She sat on the floor in front of the phonograph and cranked up the volume full blast. She began to wear her hair long and flowing down to her waist. She looked like a pint-sized hippie. She asked for a guitar and they bought her one, but Nancy didn't have the patience or discipline <laughs> to learn. She got really frustrated with it. Uh, she also began devouring Rolling Stone magazine and books by authors like Kurt Vonnegut, Richard Brodigan, Ken Kesey, Sylvia Plath, uh, J.D. Salinger. She sounds so much like me as I a was kid. just thinking right? that same wavelength, 100%. Yeah.
1: Uh, she was apparently fascinated with Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald, which I also am. Yeah, and I'm like saying like, not for me sitting here thinking, that sounds like me. I'm sitting here thinking, that sounds like links. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, she also began reading the paper mostly about the Vietnam War
2: and connected to anti-war protesters at the time. So in many ways, she was a phenomenal kid, but still so troubled. She would come home crying from school. Her mother would find terribly cruel notes from girls in her classroom in her pockets. Uh, She really took her frustration out on her sister, especially really making her life hell. One day Deborah found Nancy at the top of the stairs. This is kind of terrifying. She was holding a bag. She asked what was in the bag, and Nancy said that it was their cat Aquarius.
1: Oh no, she not was, Aquarius. Yes. Yeah,
2: she was going to throw the cat down the stairs because she said she wanted to see if the cat would still land on its feet, even in the bag. Deborah wrestled the bag from Nancy, who refused to let go, and Nancy hit her mom in the face. Deborah says she shook Nancy and Nancy blinked and asked, why am I standing here? She had no memory oh, of shit. what happened. Yeah. Nancy loved that cat so much. So when her mom told her what happened, Nancy went to her room and sobbed for hours. Because of this, they took her to a doctor to get some tests done because obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole. Yeah. Something right here. Um this she's about ten now mm-hmm. another i q test was done uh she scored one twenty nine which put her in the superior range of intellectual activity uh she scaled at college level in reading and spelling. okay, but what about the blackout? Well, they're trying to figure that out. They're trying to figure that do out. do we
1: ever figure it out sort of okay.
2: Uh, The doctors recommended Nancy be in therapy, but overall, they basically blamed Deborah and Frank's marital issues on Nancy's problems. (sighs) In reality, they did have marital issues, but most came from dealing with the hostile environment Nancy's issues caused at home, right? So not only did they begin therapy, but her parents did as well. Anything to help Nancy, that's, you know, their main goal. Around this time, an incident involving prescription drugs happened. Yet again, a doctor decided to give Nancy a sedative called Atarax. Deborah says 45 minutes after they gave it to Nancy, they heard her screaming in her room. She was hallucinating and... And was like a possessed demon tearing apart her room. She didn't recognize Frank or Deborah, and they were terrified for her. So they called the doctor, who just kind of nonchalantly told them, like, oh, it must be an allergic reaction. Like, wait it out. Uh, They did. And, of course, Nancy had no memory of the incident
1: again. That's insane. I'm so... um... Myself, I'm hesitant to take any kind of medication and things like that. And when I got LASIK eye surgery and they were like, here, do you want to whatever it was like to relax you? I'm like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Just went in right into LASIK. Just like give it to me.
2: The worst kind of drugs seem to be, you know, the doctor prescribed ones. Oh. They're so addictive and scary. Um, other incidents would happen where Nancy had extreme highs and lows. Uh, she would apparently just get that kind of glazed look on her face and they were never sure what was happening. But every time they told the doctors, they would insist, oh, Nancy wants attention. Like, you're not doing a good job parenting her.
1: Like, they really just blamed the parents. And this is a book written by a parent? This was Deborah, her mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And you know, it's, it's crazy because we have to think too, like, yeah is, is Deborah as helpful as she says that she was in this book? She's
2: actually pretty
1: honest about
2: how frustrating and how like she like, she basically says like we wanted to love our kid yeah. but it was so hard to love our kid yeah. you know like she is i i'm sure you know we are getting her point of view here so mm-hmm. we have to keep that and in we do mind. have to take it at
1: face value like exactly. if she says this is what happened then we're saying this is yeah. what happened according to her
2: but she is very honest about like how difficult it was to you know want to be there for her and everything well having so many low points. We'd like to take a moment to tell you about Care of, a subscription service that makes it easy to get vitamins, protein powders, and
1: more personalized just for you and delivered straight to your door. Guys, winter was a rough one this year, but now that we're entering spring, it's finally time to get back into routines that empower us to feel our healthiest, and Care of is a fantastic way to start. Yes
2: care of has a fun online quiz that asks you all about your diet your health goals and your lifestyle choices it takes only five minutes to find out your personal scientifically backed recommendations for vitamins protein powders and more i was really impressed with the quiz and felt it covered so much more than my own doctor does when i have appointments and not to mention
1: how much more convenient it was that i was able to do it at home on my own personal time I have no idea which vitamins and supplements I should be taking, and I'm sure you feel the same way, but Mm -hmm. Care/of makes it super easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. Care/of makes sure you're getting vitamins and protein from the best sources, backed by honest guidance and transparency. They even have vegan and vegetarian supplement options available to match your dietary needs. So fantastic. Your personalized Care-of
2: subscription box gets sent right to your door every month with personalized daily packs,
1: great for a busy, on-the-go lifestyle, and they even say your name on them. Cute. So make sure you also check out the Care-of app so you can track your progress and earn rewards when you remember to take your vitamins. Yes. So, for 30% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter Muses30. For 30% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter Muses, M-U-S-E-S, 30.
2: Nancy would sometimes also hurt herself. And now that she was getting older, she would verbally attack her parents, you know, screaming terrible things at them. One weekend, her parents went to New York for a business thing. And when they came home, they found Nancy sitting outside in a bathrobe with that glazed look on her face. Uh, That morning, the babysitter they had for them... Uh, told Nancy, like, stop being mean to your sister. And Nancy's reaction was to go upstairs, pull the screen off the window, go onto the garage roof, where she screamed that she was going to kill herself and that she wanted to die. The sitter coaxed her back, only to have Nancy grab a pair of scissors and chase her around with them, claiming she was going to kill her. Sounds like a freaking horror movie. Yeah. And the whole bathrobe thing. Yeah, Imagine just coming home to that. Yeah. Once again, doctors claimed she was acting out, not dangerous. They just wouldn't take them seriously finally there was an incident where nancy destroyed her therapist's office Mm -hmm. and they really couldn't claim she wasn't violent or dangerous after that so nancy's just 11 she's having this terribly difficult time at home difficult time at school no one wanted to deal with her the school she went to called deborah and told her you know we don't want nancy here they just kind of kicked her out nancy desperately needed help but no one you know seemed to want to put in the effort in september of 1969 nancy had another evaluation and this time the doctors diagnosed her as schizophrenic Hmm. yeah but guess what what the doctor didn't share that information with her parents cool yeah deborah only found this out after nancy passed away okay that makes sense right all the doctor told them was that the clinic wasn't capable of helping nancy and they terminated her as a patient
1: awesome way to go 19 what the year is it (laughs)
2: like
1: (laughs) late middle 60s way to go mid
2: 1960s so deborah says when she asked for some kind of guidance the doctor just replied damn if i know
1: (laughs) great doctors I'm just going to start using that too. Damped if anybody if asks do. me any kind of professional question in any capacity,
2: <laughs> damned if I know. They set her up with a new doctor and were looking into trying to find a school that would accept her, even though Nancy was still refusing to ever set foot in a school again. She, she had had enough. Nancy was also having night terrors. Deborah mentions Nancy saying things to her like, I want to die. If you love me, you'd let me die. Nancy was really suffering and she, you know. She didn't like being that way either. One night, she attacked her mother with a hammer, and this led to her being put on Thorazine. Her siblings were forced to lock their doors at night after her mom found Nancy wandering around at night in a stupor collecting knives from the kitchen. Yeah. When her I had
1: mo- no idea about any of this. Right?
2: When her mom asked what she was doing, uh, Nancy said she was going to stab her brother and sister with them. Deborah says, whenever she came out of her stupor and became herself again, she immediately began to pull her hair out, bang her head, and scream, Help me, help me, put me somewhere, help me. Wow. It's it's so sad. Like she she knew she, you know, was messed up and she didn't she just did she, who wants to be like that? Mm-hmm. No one. hmm After a very difficult search for a school, they found a place for Nancy called Barton in Connecticut, which focused on helping disturb children. Mm -hmm. It was $850 a month and only 20 students attended. So the kids there got a lot of attention. This was the best thing to happen to Nancy. This place didn't believe in drugging kids. They wanted the kids to talk about their issues, learn to deal with things in a verbal manner. And Nancy did begin to flourish there. Good, Yeah. She finished out the year and had never been happier. Unfortunately, the people who ran this school were reassigned and new people came in. Nancy had grown attached to the ones that were previously there and the vibe was completely different under this new team they also had more kids in attendance and were understaffed so long story short basically all of Nancy's problems came back she ran away from school she was a complete mess again Uh, the school staff decided again we can't handle her send her somewhere else so they recommended a school called Avon which is a similar one but was more expensive a thousand dollars a month. Nancy's so lucky that her parents were actually rich. This is a thousand dollars a month, like in that era, but they didn't you know they didn't know what else to do they they had to send her there, right. Nancy began attending there when she was thirteen. Most kids in attendance were sixteen to seventeen at the youngest uh and yeah, this place was a lot more expensive and a lot more lax than the other one. Nancy really hated it there. The kids were really troubled, and like real issues happened there. When Nancy would come home from visits or for visits, it was clear the old behavior was coming back. She would terrorize her sister. I feel like it can
1: go it can go both ways. These kinds of schools where yeah you know children of a certain type are sent and for the most part it's like it's usually not great you know like a lot of abuse happening within the system and all that kind of stuff however this one like the parents are paying and i don't know if there's a correlation between like you know if school is being better or worse and more abuse or less abuse based on how much tuition is or whatnot i don't know even if it makes a difference but it's
2: never great no it probably depends on how much attention each kid is getting you know and how many staff are there and you know how attentive they are right yeah and if they actually give a shit about children as opposed to the money so yeah she's like 13 she's starting to brag about doing drugs like marijuana pills lsd at school uh deborah's wedding ring went missing one day when nancy was home they all surmised that she stole it for you know money for drugs nancy's attitude toward going to school did change abruptly however when she announced one day i have a boyfriend in the band mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Uh, some of the guys at the school had formed a band as she began dating the guitarist a guy named jeff her parents met him when they came to visit once nancy's mom says that nancy was definitely in higher spirits and was making more friends even getting into photography uh, the next alarming incident happened in the summer when Nancy was treated at the hospital for a perforated uterus. Nancy thought she was pregnant and tried to abort herself.
1: Nope.
2: Yeah. Nope. She wasn't even pregnant. Mm-mm. Her relationship with Jeff lasted over a year, apparently, but Jeff left the school abruptly, and Deborah doesn't know if Nancy ever saw him again.
1: Sorry, Jeff. Just not rock and roll enough. No. So,
2: yes, like I mentioned, Deborah's open in the book about how life without Nancy was much more stable and the family the entire family felt kind of guilty about how happy they were when she was gone because you know they finally had a stable loving life um, but you know but the, obviously they all wanted what was best for her when Nancy would come for visits she was you know smoking pot doing LSD she began to turn her younger sister on a smoking pot which obviously upset her parents um you know they were worried that her sister Susie would go down a similar path I think it was also when Nancy was 15 that she ran away to New York for the first time running away from school was normal but she usually ran away to come home Mm. so clearly Nancy had begun to think of a life outside of school and you know her family in Philadelphia The school Nancy was attending was trying to get her to graduate that year, but her parents didn't think she could handle college at 15 while still dealing with her mental instabilities and asked that she attended another year, which they agreed to, but she had to graduate at 16. No one bothered to tell Nancy any of this, and when she found out that her parents insisted she stay there, Nancy acted out by slashing her wrists. It was severe, and Nancy required 21 stitches. She really did come close to death. Deborah says in that moment, it hit her. She knew for sure that Nancy would die at some point before she would. Huh. Yeah. And that, you know, Nancy was becoming her own person. She would soon be an adult, making her own choices. Basically, you know, there was nothing she could really do about it. Nancy wanted to get out and begin a new life and education Seemed to be important to her. She took the SATs at 15. She scored a 1030 and applied to and was accepted into the University of Colorado. The rest of the school year, she was calmer. She was excited for prom. Deborah writes about how excited Nancy was when she found the perfect prom dress and how shocked Deborah was when she saw it. This is how she describes <laughs> Nancy's prom dress an unbelievably sink, slinky lime green matte jersey dress with a bare midriff
1: i can't even picture right i'm i can't even nancy was so happy with it though deborah (laughs) was just like it looks great uh
2: nancy loved this unusual choice of outfits so much that when nancy passed away deborah actually chose to bury nancy in that dress oh yeah because she knew you know she'd be wearing something she loved so that summer Nancy went to University of Colorado. She took classes in journalism and marketing and she really blossomed out there. She was all alone in Colorado. She came home for a visit before the fall semester and her parents couldn't believe how happy and relaxed she was. It was really Nancy at her best. She needed that Colorado air. Yeah. Unfortunately, being back home brought out a lot of the old issues again, fighting with the parents and siblings, uh her parents feeling she was, you know, a bad influence when it came to smoking pot and everything. Uh, her mother literally says we were delighted when Nancy went back to Colorado that fall. Unfortunately, Nancy was arrested for the first time for receiving stolen property. Apparently the guy she was hanging out with would steal students skis. Nancy loves skiing apparently as (laughs) well. Um, She was only 16. So she was put in a juvenile detention center until they got her a lawyer. Long story short, This leads to Nancy being expelled and having to leave Colorado. Details are in the book. Read it. Everyone should read this book anyway. It's so good. Um, But let's move forward with the consequences. This wasn't her father's fault, obviously, but apparently Nancy blamed her father for like everything that happened with her getting kicked out and everything. And, um, she blamed him forever and was really devastated to like to have to leave her new life when nancy got home her mom tried to cheer her up you know there's other schools you know whatever uh nancy replied that there was no point anyway because and i quote i'm going to die before i'm 21 i'm going to go out in a blaze of glory like headlines that was nancy's reply creepy yeah Deborah says, Nancy's return from Colorado was the turning point of her life. Never again did I see the slightest ray of light. Her failure in Colorado meant she had no choice but to admit to herself she wasn't like other people. For her, this was the last straw. No more dreams, no more will to live. The episode left her purposeless. It left her with nothing to do or be or believe in. Her only commitment now was to death. She took the last lane so she could get it over with as soon as possible. So the same week this happened, she returned home to Philadelphia. Nancy got in a car accident. She drove down the side of an expressway ramp, rolled the car three times down an embankment, and miraculously landed upright and unharmed. She was arrested, though, as minors aren't allowed to drive past midnight there. It's being back home with no direction where Nancy really begins to become the Nancy, you know, we all know. Mm -hmm. she went from that hippie-ish girl to the beginning of like a punk rock look she streaked her hair blonde she started wearing lots of black began wearing heavy makeup going out you know on the town and in philadelphia with you know all her friends uh i won't go into the repetitive details but basically life at home was not pleasant anymore you can imagine just from everything i've said it's also around age 16 when deborah found needles and spoons and you know whatnot in nancy's room hi yeah that's 16 yeah. yeah she claimed it was for a friend but it's most likely she was beginning to dabble in you know heavier drugs or was at least around them at this point she was doing speed for sure uh, she was also stealing jewelry and money from her parents uh there was only one thing that made her ha- Nancy happy at this point and that was music. Mm -hmm. So Deborah writes, music was everything to her. There was nothing else in the universe that mattered. All she wanted was to belong to the music. All she wanted was a musician.
1: We want to take a quick minute to tell you about StoryWorth. Everyone has a family member who always tells the best stories and now there's a way to preserve and share them, which we'll tell you all about. That storyteller for me was my grandpa, AKA my poppy, but now his voice is really only a memory. Who is that for you, Lynx? Most definitely my dad. He has the best life story adventures. I love hearing about them so much. Not only does Storyworth preserve these narratives so future generations can enjoy them, but it also brings families together every week as they get to know each other better. And everybody who listens to our podcast knows how important our family is to us. Absolutely. StoryWorth makes it fun and easy for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly
2: emailed story prompts, questions you've never thought to ask. At the end of the year, they'll get their stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. Strengthen your family bonds and get to know your loved ones in a whole new way. So this is how it
1: works. First, purchase a subscription for someone you love and each week StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. Then, they simply reply to this email with their
2: story. All stories are private and only shared with family that you choose.
1: After a year, their stories will be bound into beautiful keepsake books. You can really stay connected to your loved ones. I don't live in the same city as my family members, so it's a fun activity to do together and it helps you feel closer. You can learn all about your relatives and preserve your memories. And if you can't think of things to ask, don't worry. You get one year of weekly story prompts. And at the end, like we said, a hardcover printed book. Write stories and upload photos by email on the web or in the app. The data is secure and everything is private by default. You control who sees your stories. This is a great gift for Mother's Day or Father's Day, and even if it's last minute. My mom doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can tell you that I will be gifting this to her for Mother's (laughs) Day, which, by the way, is May 12th. It's coming up. Good reminder. And maybe we'll gift it to dad, but uh, you're gonna have to wait and see, Michelle and Danielle. <laughs> my mom tells this awesome story of how when my little brother was really little and stayed at my grandparents' house one day, she came home and he told her, Mamere didn't feed me no craft dinner, and Papere told me, You go outside and you chop wood. And uh, that very day, Mamere had fed him craft dinner, and Papere had been outside chopping wood. <laughs> <laughs> you wanna get that from the source. So for twenty dollars off, visit storyworth.com slash muses when you subscribe. For twenty dollars off, visit storyworth.com slash muses when you subscribe. Before heading out to a
2: show, Deborah described Nancy's ritual. She spent hours getting ready, trying on and discarding practically every garment in her closet. Her outfits began to get totally outrageous. She wore skin-tight orange spandex pants, black satin scarves, or a purple kimono in place of a top. Immense multicolored platform shoes. She wore lots and lots of makeup and silver or black nail polish. She'd check herself out in the mirror. When she was sure she looked just right, she'd lift up one leg and do this little dance <laughs> maneuver of hers. A four- of the twist that for her was like revving up the engine her, yeah. right isn't that wow. so good
1: her eyes would light up she'd cry out all right and then head to the <laughs> train station that's awesome well right? i'm wearing a vest today all right all right <laughs> So Nancy was now meeting bands that she loved and
2: partying at all hours with them. One time, her mom says a limo dropped her off in the morning and Nancy bragged to her family that she'd been out with Queen all night. Okay. She also bragged to her sister that she, the first band she'd slept with was Bad Company. Um, Nancy also claimed to have bed all of Aerosmith. And that afterward, they told her they wanted to set fire to her and throw her out the window, and that she was up for it. But then they chickened out. Okay, cool. Some other bands she claimed to party with and get physical with were The Who, Almond Brothers. You know, none of her family know if these are true or false. I don't know if anyone really knows if this is true
1: or false. So, did you say The Who or the Guess Who? The Who. Yeah, The Who. Yeah, that makes more sense.
2: But yeah, we can't say for sure if Nancy's like embellishing these stories or flat out lying or telling the truth. Who knows? You know, maybe she was parting with them. Maybe she wanted a little more, but didn't get it. Or maybe she got all of these guys. We'll never know. Uh, she was hanging out with bands, though. F- that's for sure. Uh, her mom came home one day to find the band The Pretty Things all over the house, just chilling somewhere in the pool and everything. So, that. yeah, she was she was getting at it. So as we know, Nancy's still having good days and bad ones, and her family tried to do what they can, but her parents kind of reached their breaking point. They didn't want to kick her out per se, but they wanted her out. So hoping it would help everyone, including Nancy in the long run, uh, they decided to help her to move to New York her parents decided if New York was where Nancy wanted to be that they would help her out financially to get her on her feet in hopes that she would you know find herself and a, a role in music like working in music that was Nancy's goal so within a month Nancy found a place on West 23rd about a block half a block maybe from the Chelsea Hotel she was 17 17 all on her own she set herself up nicely Oh, she even got a cat, but within a few months, you know, she was doing drugs and calling home begging for money. Her parents paid the landlord directly, and Deb would come and stock her fridge with food and everything. But they didn't want to give her the cash because she was clearly, you know, going to use that to to things that they didn't want to indulge. You know, and you her know what?
1: With. She should have spent it on cat
2: food. She should have. She really should have.
1: No, nothing else.
2: Nothing bad. So we know from stories about Nancy in this time that she was kind of sort of looked on as, you know, maybe a little annoying by some in the scene. And I think Nancy knew this and was trying so hard to fit in. And it kind of breaks my heart thinking of this 17 year old girl completely alone in New York City, trying to find a place where she fit in. Deborah writes that Nancy would call home in tears saying, you know, I went to CBGB's last night, mom, no one would talk to me, they hate me, like, what am I going to do? Nobody likes me. And Deb says, we had this conversation so many times that they all blur together in my mind, she'd sobbed, and I do what I could to comfort her. So those calls abated the more that Nancy got into the punk scene and did start to make friends there. Max's Kansas City and CBGBs became regular haunts for her. And when she called home, she'd tell her mom about, you know, bands like Blondie, The Ramones, the New York Dolls. So this was before these people were household names, right? These are them starting out as well. Nancy apparently talked about Debbie Harry a lot. When Nancy bleached her hair blonde, she told her mom she did it at Debbie's house. No way. Yeah. Nancy also became friends with Sable Star, who's mm. there and once deborah went to visit nancy and richard howell was chilling at her place so that? the whole sex pistol look Mm -hmm. they ripped off richard howell okay and richard howell was in a band called television which is so good and he also had his own like solo stuff which is also great he has a song called the blank generation and that's sort of known as like the punk song i belong to the blank generation that's like that generation
1: i love him okay yeah so
2: like malcolm mclaren since we're going to talk about the sex pistols anyway malcolm mclaren created the sex pistols and he came to new york and he met richard howell and saw his look and then brought that back to england got it yeah so nancy did end up finding work in new york usually stripping and her mother believes she probably was doing sex work as well but Nancy had trouble holding jobs down because she was, you know, addicted to drugs. And
1: schizophrenic? And schizophrenic. Poor so thing.
2: there's a hor yeah, there's a horrible story in the book about Nancy coming home and begging them for help and her arms and ankles were covered in track marks. Nancy did get on a methadone program in New York City to try to get off heroin and apparently she did succeed for a while. By now Nancy had other goals in mind. The major one was moving to England. There's a man named Philippe Macaday. He's a singer in an awesome band called The Senders, and he wrote a fantastic book called Punk Avenue about his you know, New York experience and a lot of familiar names. All the ones like I'm talking about here are in that. Uh, all the musicians. He also knew people like Nancy and Sable, and I highly recommend that book. Highly, highly, highly. Uh, anyway, he was friends with Nancy, and he talks about how Nancy has this major crush on Jerry Nolan, who was in the New York Dolls and also was in a band with Johnny Thunders and Richard Hell called the Heartbreakers. So they were going to England, and Nancy apparently had this major crush on Jerry. So, you know, she she basically wanted to go there kind of to stalk him, maybe. And um, she would actually cry on Philippe's shoulders about you know, not having a boyfriend. And apparently, Philippe also suggested, like, why not check out England? You know, maybe something there for you. So Deborah paid for Nancy's flight over, and her family really didn't think that she would last long there. But Nancy ended up staying 18 months in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, we know why. She met Said Vicious. Just a crazy messed up story that Philippe has, just one of many in his book, read his book it's so good um when nancy left philippe took her cat to take care of it and her cat was addicted to heroin i guess nancy left spoons lying around and her cat would lick them yep and he has this horrifying story about the strung out cat you know attacking him and he still (laughs) has scars from it yeah wild but uh just to let everyone know the cat was okay. okay it got over its addiction okay so let me tell you a little about Sid Vicious since we're gonna make our way to England now Sid was born Simon John Ritchie on May 10th 1957 his mother Anne joined the RAF the Royal Air Force at 18 and that's where she met Sid's father John John turned out to be kind of a deadbeat dad he didn't bother to send checks nor did he ever bother to kind of show up in person so Anne was really forced to raise Sid on her own And scraped by, but it was not an easy living. Sid grew up living in places that didn't have indoor toilets or hot water or, you know, one place had gas lighting. So you get the picture. They were constantly moving around, which was also difficult on Sid when it came to schooling and making friends. He was very much a loner, often bullied. He even went through a nervous twitching phase. So, you know, it really did affect him growing up. Mm In 1965, and met and married a man named Christopher Beverly. He was apparently a charming man, and it looked like a real, you know, positive start for them. And he even put in official adoption papers to have Sid as his legal son. One
1: guess, he was a real bastard. No, tragically,
2: okay. it's a tragic one. Oh. He passed away after only six months okay. being with them. He had cancer. That's sad. Yeah. Christopher had come from a stable, well-off family, and after he passed, they were kind enough to help in regards to Sid, though. They paid for him to attend private school, and he would stay with them on weekends while his mom worked. So, it still helped them. I take back what I said. Edit that out. Just kidding, you don't have to. (laughs) So, by this time, Sid was developing his own personality quirks. As we know, this was before punk rock really existed he was a lover of music and glam rock really got to him he was a huge Mark Bolin fan a huge Slade fan a huge Bowie fan musicians like that Uh, before he delved into music he actually took some classes in photography but the rigid school structure did not suit him but it was while he was doing that that he met John Lydon And this was around 1972 or 73. So I think they're about 15 years old. In no time at all, teenage John, uh, Johnny, Hmm. and Sid were moving out or maybe kicked out, I don't know, of their parents' places and were finding their own places to squat. It was around now that Sid officially got the name Sid Vicious. There's multiple stories where this comes from. He was possibly named after John's pet rat, John himself says that Sid was the least vicious person he ever met. So he nicknamed him that as kind of a joke. I like that. Yeah. They were beginning to get into what would become the punk scene. They were partying, experimenting with drugs, all that. Uh, Some people remember teenage Sid as being more sweet and quiet than, you know, crazy and fucked up. Uh, He would become a fucked up, drugged up, violent person eventually, though. Um, Spoiler. Yeah. Sid and John did try to work more conventional jobs to earn money but nothing ever stuck and some say they sometimes sold speed and some have suggested Sid may have even flirted with sex work but I don't think that's true or been confirmed just putting it out there because it was in the book uh, they were meeting all the people who would go down in history as part of the punk revolution. People like Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren. They had a store, a clothing store named Sex, and that was a hot spot for all the punk rockers in England together. Yeah, we talked about that place before. Yes. Yeah, I can go on many tangents here, but I'm going to focus on Sid and Nancy. (laughs) It was with McLaren's directions that the Sex Pistols were officially formed. They evolved from another band that McLaren was managing, and members Steve Jones and Paul Cook were in. They were called The Strand. Glenn Matlock, who worked at Sex, was the next to be recruited, and they were looking for a lead singer who would make an impact Sid and John were regulars at the shop by then. And one day, John asked if he'd like an audition for the part. It was McLaren who had dubbed John Johnny Rotten after he joined the Sex Pistols. So this is like 1975, 76, when the Pistols were playing shows and gaining a good following and the media began to take notice. Sid was kind of known as their number one fan. I think he was also jealous seeing his friend john up there making music and gaining this following you know while he he was on the sidelines they're such good
1: names right you and i were in a band you would be lynx luscious and i would be shanti succulent have you thought of that before i just thought of that right now that's good i was inspired
2: i love it if listeners remember way back in episode 40 i told the story of viv albertine from the slits before she joined that band she started her own with her friend sid they were called the flowers of romance they never played a live show but were important in that it gave sid viv palm who later also joined the slits and keith levine their first taste of you know being in a band together a sort of all-star brand practice for all of them to go out to become what they were meant to be you know mm-hmm. Sid also appeared with Susie and the Banshees playing drums at their notorious first gig at the 100 Club Punk Festival and was supposed to audition as the lead for the band The Damned, but never showed up, though Sid claims they never gave him the info to show up. (laughs) So there was a physical alteration after it actually at the festival where Sid played drums for Susie. Apparently he hurled glass at the stage attempting to hit Dan Vanion from the damned but Sid was drunk and the glass hit a pillar and partially blind some poor girl in the eye oh he was arrested yeah obviously it's around 1976 where Sid began to shoot Speed regularly and that gentle side of him was you know disappearing and he kind of became well known for violent fights wherever he went interestingly while the Sex Pistols weren't even at this gig, and Sid had yet to join the band, the incident went mainstream in the papers, and articles uh, were talking about how this new, you know, punk rock scene was so violent, and it was the Sex Pistols that got a lot of the blame for it in the papers, and they even called Sid the fifth member of the group, even though he was not yet in the Sex Pistols. Okay. Things for the Pistols were going great, however. They landed a deal at EMI of £40,000 advance, which was one of the highest known advances for a relatively unknown band. Their first single, Anarchy in the UK, came out. Uh, One of the main reasons the Flowers of Romance never became a performing band is because while they were in the middle of trying to build something for themselves, Sid was asked to join the Pistols. So this happened because Glenn Matlock, their bassist, left or was fired, depending on who you ask. Uh, Johnny and Glenn never really got along. Glenn was more middle class than the rest of the band, apparently, and Johnny picked on him for it. And they just felt like Glenn didn't have the same attitude as the rest of the Sex Pistols. So since Sid was at every show, hanging out with them all the time, it was just sort of obvious that he was the natural choice to replace Glenn. Glenn was such a sport about this. He even offered to help teach Sid how to play bass. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Sid never took him up on it, unfortunately. Uh, Uh, Good. Thanks. Another thing about Matlock, uh, he was the most musically proficient of the band. Uh. And he wrote a lot of their material. But I guess they weren't thinking too hard on the important, you know, qualities like that. No, it's all about the look. Exactly. So, again, Sid is 19 years old. And he's officially joining the Sex Pistols. It's 1977. EMI wasn't too happy about this. They knew Matlock was, you know, the only genuine musician of the bunch. And they terminated their contract with the band. But lucky for them, a Records was happy to pick them up. This time with a 50000 advance and a further 100000 to follow. So Nancy met Sid pretty soon after she arrived to England. She apparently first set her eyes on Johnny, but he wasn't interested. John thinks his refusing Nancy made Sid want Nancy all the more. He also said that he believes Sid was actually a virgin before meeting Nancy, and Nancy has basically said the same. Sex wasn't really an interest for Sid. It was all about drugs and fighting and,
1: you know, hanging out. Well, I guess when you're like, you know, okay, how old was he when he started getting into drugs seriously? Probably like 15, 16. Okay, so isn't that sort of like when, the peak of like when guys are going to start like yeah. wanting to be sexual and if you're ingesting these subst- substances that just sort of like cut that off or yeah. like, yeah. I think he also just, the idea of sex was, he
2: wasn't really into that. Oh, There's okay. some interesting things about him yeah. that way. That's why I also don't think he ever was a sex worker. That just right, didn't okay. seem right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, from... The get-go, they were basically inseparable. They moved in together right away. While Nancy may have been the one to introduce Sid to heroin, Sid was already a pro at shooting up. He did so all the time with speed. People like Johnny Thunders were all over England as well, sharing their heroin habits with, you know, England. So I'm sure Sid would have gotten around to trying it without, you know, Nancy's involvement. But because he tried it for the first time with Nancy, a lot of people like blame Nancy for his addiction, Mm -hmm. even though we already know he was an addict. Yeah. it's silly. Yeah. It's an interesting thing and another sort of strange backward thinking in a way. A lot of negative things I've read about Nancy from people in that scene, you know, they say that she was friendly, she would hang out. But one of the reasons a lot of people weren't attracted to her was because she was a junkie. But this is all coming from men who were junkies. Like being an addict was a man's thing, right? Right. Like it's unattractive for a woman to be a junkie, yet they're all junkies as well. I just thought that was very strange. Yeah. Cool logic, bro. Yeah. And yeah, we know Nancy had a lot of mental torment. So it's no doubt, you know, self-medicating to deal with that pain became a thing for her. And with Sid, she found her rock star dream who kind of fully accepted her for who she was. Right. And together they absolutely enabled each other. Nancy was by Sid's side in 1977 when the Pistols did their Jubilee boat trip along the River Thames. And you can find video footage of that event on YouTube. It's really cool. The Pistols' great success came with or the Pistols' greatest success came with the release of their only studio album, Never Mind the Bollocks, Here Comes the Sex Pistols. They were incredibly hyped up in the media, but in reality, they weren't really doing much. Many of their gigs would end up getting canceled due to threats or, you know, threats of violence. The band members themselves were constantly getting attacked on the streets of England by people who, you know, were like, punks. They were like the new long hairs, right? Like in the 60s, like long-haired kids would get beat up. The punks would get beat up all the time. So yeah, people were kind of going nuts about everything. Uh, All this sort of enabled Sid and Nancy as well, gave them an excuse to kind of hole up in their apartment, get high, avoid the world. I'm sure you can imagine the phone calls Deborah was getting from Nancy, begging for money to help their habits. She even lied and told her family that her and Sid got married in order to get them to send money for a <laughs> wedding present which they did mm-hmm. more enabling i suppose but i guess it's hard to say no to your you know crying child on the other end of the line even if you know it's for drugs um i guess we should talk a little bit about the fact that the pistols and all associated with them really despised nancy many of them again blamed her for sid's addiction and behavior Again, a woman taking the blame for a man who is perfectly capable of making his own decisions. Mm -hmm. They both enabled each other and maybe in the long run... We're both, you know, kind of dragging each other down in different ways. Oh but... wait,
1: hence your message to me, Nancy's the Yoko of Punk. Yeah, <laughs> okay. she totally is. Is she just not? A random message from you the other day. Well, I wasn't <laughs> random because I knew you were working on this episode. But just out of nowhere, it's like, ping. people like <laughs> blame her for, you know, this pistols
2: breaking up. They blame her for Sid's death. Like it's it's crazy. She absolutely is the Yoko of Punk and again we're talking about like a teenage girl like like how you how do you put so much of that on her one cruel event mentioned in malcolm butt's book is when the band decided that they needed to get rid of nancy and planned to kidnap her they told her right they told her they were going to drive to meet sid but ended up driving her to an airport in attempt to send her back to the states you know And again, it's interesting to think about, but if everyone hadn't been so outwardly cruel to Nancy, you know, if she actually made friends there, maybe, you know, the bond between her and Sid would have been healthier as well. Sid was really the only person who cared about her. Yep. She put those guys in a bang threw them down the stairs. So... When the Pistols were booked for their first U.S. tour, Nancy was so excited to tag along, but Malcolm and the band were dead set against that happening. Nancy was not happy about it, but that tour kind of ended up being a disaster anyway. Again, lots of violence. The tour got cut short. This experience was the final straw for the band. Johnny and Sid's friendship kind of was deteriorating pretty badly by then. Uh, Johnny hated Nancy. He was never shy about vocalizing those feelings. Uh, whether to Sid or the press and Sid's drug addiction was taking a severe severe toll on him as well you can read all about the pathetic insane things Sid did on that tour in that book but just imagine every terrible thing you can think of a young messed up drug addict doing and you get the picture mm. uh, in the end the, by the end of the tour it kind of marked the end of the sex pistols as well they just kind of had enough Part of the problem was that half the time people were kind of goading on to be more outrageous, more violent, more punk, right? Because that's what attracted the media attention and some of the audience in the first place. But obviously that's not sustainable. The rest of the band actually began to want to be musicians. Johnny Rotten wasn't about that drug lifestyle at all. So unfortunately sid really did begin to believe his own hype he believed like he was the true sex pistol because he was the only one you know fully committed to that lifestyle he got caught up in the image and the friendships he had with these people kind of dissolved because his ego and addictions were just too much to cope with the sex pistols were done but malcolm mclaren was still working on his sex pistol film called the great rock and roll swindle maybe we can watch that sometime for a. Uh- Patreon? Absolutely. You guys want some bonus content? So Sid goes back to England and him and Nancy head to Paris where Malcolm McLaren is filming. This is where Sid shoots his iconic version of Paul Anka's My Way. Apparently, they wanted Sid to do a cover of Edith Piaf's No Je ne Regrette rien, (laughs) but he refused. So they finally convinced him to go with My Way though. Again, you can see that on YouTube if you haven't already. After Sid completed his part in the filming, they went back to London, where Sid and Glenn Matlock, the bassist he replaced, if you remember, formed a new band called the Vicious White Kids. They were named as such because it was Sid, Vicious, and Steve, Glenn Matlock and Steve New from the band Rich Kids, and Rat from The Damned and The White Cats. So they yeah. only performed together once, August 15th, 1978. This gig was to help fund Sid and Nancy's journey to New York City to show there was no animosity between him and Glenn. Glenn wanted to help Sid out. Nancy sang backing vocals that night, but apparently Glenn Matlock made sure her mic was unplugged on the night of the gig. So she you can't hear her, but you can, there's photos of her up on stage singing and everything. And I, I hope she had fun. Yeah. I hope she didn't know so by the end of August, Sid and Nancy made their journey to the Big Apple and settled in to the legendary Chelsea Hotel. So they ended up in room 100 after accidentally setting fire to a mattress in the original room they were put up in.
1: Accidentally. And if you
2: remember, fire. Edie Sedgwick also set fire to her place at oh, the Chelsea.
1: yeah. <laughs> That's
2: what junkies do. Yeah. Falling asleep with your uh, cigarette in your hand, I guess, mm-hmm. huh? So now that they were back, Nancy was keen on having her family meet Sid. They were obviously less keen, well aware of what was going on, but were shocked at the sight of them in person. Nancy had adopted a fake British accent. Oh, sweet. Uh, you can you can find interviews of her on YouTube where it's like half British, half not like it's pretty bad. But they were actually surprised at how polite and friendly Sid was with the whole family. After dinner at her parents, Nancy decided Sid should put on a little show for the family, which Debbie describes as Sid banging out two chords cluelessly with and with great difficulty before Nancy asked the family, Ain't that great? No. <laughs> uh oh, and Sid's attire for meeting the family was his usual leather jacket, but with no shirt on other underneath. Uh that I can picture. Can you imagine
1: though? Like really? Family dinner, Mom? Dad, uh-huh. meet my boyfriend. I mean, there were times in my life where I could picture, you know, bringing home, like, you know, a leather jacket wearing sort of kind of punky, you know, musician. But, you yeah. what I got now is much better than that. So, yeah. Well, it wasn't your
2: normal meet the parents situation. They were shocked at how calm and ha- happy Nancy was and how unthreatening Sid was considering his vicious nickname and, you know, what they've been reading about him in the paper. He was more pleasant than expected. Debbie puts it really well in the book when she says, They were two lost souls who had found each other. Their relationship came out of their inability to find what they wanted in the outside world. They were on the same wavelength. They fit each other's needs. They were dependent on each other. They cared for each other. To them, what they had together was genuine love. That's nice. Yeah. So they visited for a weekend, though Nancy's family smartly decided it was best to put them up in a hotel each night instead of having them stay with the family. On the final day, while driving them to the train station, Deborah writes that Nancy, out of nowhere, said, "'I'm going to die very soon, before my 21st birthday.'" I won't live to be 21. I'm never going to be old. I don't want to be ugly and old. I'm an old lady now anyhow. I'm 80. There's nothing left. I've already lived a whole lifetime. I'm going out in a blaze of glory. And she said this in front of both her parents and Sid, and none of them kind of knew what to say. It's just one of those moments where Nancy predicted her future again. Yeah. So, back in New York, Nancy was also busy at work as Sid's new manager. She set up gigs for him at Max's. Unfortunately, these gigs were pretty much a disaster because of the state that Sid was in at this point, but I guess that's not really shocking. Uh, they also did a couple interviews, one for a documentary called Dead on Arrival, and another, I believe, was a, for a TV show where they were on a panel with Steve Bader's from the Dead Boys and Cynthia Ross of the B-Girls. She's badass, by the way. Love <laughs> Cynthia um they aren't you know the easiest to watch especially the first one uh but the second one's really interesting and Nancy really commands the interview like you can see that she is a sharp smart woman you know you can also see her troubles but you can tell that there's a brain there and both of those are on YouTube so about two minutes after they arrived on October 12th 1978 that's when Nancy was found dead lying under the bathroom sink of room 100 of the chelsea she was 20 wow yeah she had been stabbed with a seven inch hunting knife and she bled to death Mm -hmm. she had only been stabbed the once and she bled out overnight sid claimed he woke up and found her like that and called for help when he could not revive her so there are many theories on what happened did Sid get angry? Did Nancy ask him to do it? Did Sid pass out and Nancy stab herself? There's even theories that one of their dealers did it. He was the last one to be seen at their place that night. And left. he left super late. So no one really knows. Sid ended up being charged with Nancy's murder, but he was released on bail awaiting the hearing. During that time, fun fact, not, not so fun for the people involved but just crazy fact let's put it that way um during that time he sid ended up in a fight with patty smith's brother todd oh wow yeah he smashed a bottle over todd's head sending him to the hospital with lacerations to his face Mm -hmm. todd was okay he recovered but sid ended up spending 55 days in jail until his second bail was posted so he was released February 1st, 1979, and he was found dead the next day of an overdose.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, so I wasn't sure. Like, I wasn't sure if they were both found dead. Yeah. The same night. No. So, okay. Um.
2: Again, it's unknown if Sid overdosed purposely or not, though his mother, who was with him when all this happened and discovered the body, claims she found a note shortly after his death that read, we had a death pact, And I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. In 1996, Sid's mom, Anne, also claimed that she purposely gave Sid a fatal dose of heroin. What? Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? Things you do for your kids. Sid's mother did call Nancy's mom after and wanted to ask permission to bury Sid next to Nancy, but Deborah declined, though apparently they did go to his Nancy's grave and spread his ashes there. Oh, okay. So the Spongens had to deal with a lot after Nancy's death, especially, you know, seeing the media tear her apart, call her every name under the sun. And that was, you know, part of the reason why she felt the need to write the, the book, yeah. this book. yeah. And I don't want to live this life. And she's since written two others, actually, not about Nancy. Um, And she's also became a victims advocate and founded a Philadelphia-based nonprofit organization called Families of Murdered Victims. Mm -hmm. So this experience with Nancy really propelled her into, you know, advocacy and dealing with that. One thing I didn't put in, I was going to because they're so interesting but I didn't want to read pages out of the book like full pages but if you pick up the book Sid actually after Nancy passed away wrote Nancy's mother Deborah multiple times and she puts the letters that he wrote in there and they're really beautiful and you know he talks about how much he loved her and how he doesn't know how he he's gonna live without her now and um you can like feel his mourning and pain in it. I'm sure you can find those online as well but just something you know for listeners to go out and check out the book is so good and you really get a completely different look at Nancy than you know the media presents her as and I think that's important and it's important to remember these people are like 20 19 yeah, 20 for like the, sure 20 like I when I think back to like my 20 year old self it's crazy, you know, and it's crazy to think that she was alive and seeing the media and people around her
1: calling her those names and stuff. That couldn't have been easy. Yeah. Yeah. That was so fascinating. I didn't know any of that. Good. But I loved the... I think it was so important to have a look at the childhood, yeah, and um, the it early does, teen years and all of those things, and it does explain really build so that much. fantastic story around it, yeah, and so that you can have compassion for everybody involved, exactly, and- exactly, yeah. I mean, it's easy to look at a junkie and just to see a junkie,
2: but that's a human being there with a story, and you know, everyone has a story. You don't become that overnight, you know. It's that's. There's a cause and effect here, you know. How's the movie?
1: The movie is it just called Sid and Nancy?
2: Yes, it's good. I like it. Gary Oldman is amazing as Sid. Yeah. Who plays Nancy? It's Chloe Webb. Mm-hmm. She plays up Nancy as like I, the only problem I have with the movie, which might be tr- true to life, is that Nancy does come across as kind of annoying and loud. And but if that's w- the way she was, then that's the way she was, right? Yeah. Um, in the movie, they kind of portray it as Nancy begging Sid
1: to murder her. Mm-hmm. So they that's like the, their take on it. I wonder if that would have happened in this day. Right. With forensics being what it is and with police investigation being what it is, if it would have been much easier to figure out, well, the angle of the gut of the of the knife and the amount of time and all these things like they might have been able to figure it out. But I guess it'll be a mystery, right? It's interesting to to think she was only stabbed
2: once and she died because she bled out. Was she was she awake? Did she I mean, she knew she was stabbed. Why didn't she call for help? Was she too drugged up to get I mean, she crawled to the bathroom Mm -hmm. uh maybe she didn't want the help right yeah and we know that she you know tried to commit suicide multiple times and claimed that she was going to die before she was 21 like maybe that was a wish of hers that she kind of set into motion in in one way or another right like we don't know we just don't know
1: yeah okay i loved that episode Thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope. And considering you're sick as a little doggy, yeah. you were such a champion. Thank you. Good job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I don't sound that great, but we well, got through it. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for tuning in. And we're going to, at this point, have more bonus content for you. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, we'll release every other week on our network, on uh, Pantheon's network.
2: Yeah, make sure you check out everything else that's on Pantheon.
1: Yep. We love you. Goodbye.
3: Looking for ways to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can
0: too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. News and Stuff is produced by Chantal Lemieux and Link Solo.